broadcasting live out of a basement in Appleton, Wisconsin. You're tuned in to Fox City's Core on WCZR Code Zero Radio. We're the show that gives you an opportunity to call in and be a part of the show. Our call in line is 920-358-0795. Core. Our guests today... My next guests are a rock trio from Green Bay, Wisconsin. The band formed in 2019. Their latest album, Sight for Sore Eyes, was released earlier this year. I'd like to welcome Scary Canaries to Fox City's Core on Code Zero Radio. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Very good. Good Good morning. It's uh, always fun to, like get a band in that I've, I've never like even talked to before because it's 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 like fresh territory so we, we've got a lot of ground to cover today yeah it's <laughs> uh, first of all like for people that aren't familiar with scary canaries you guys have been around now as mentioned for for quite some time you want to just kind of go down the the row and say who you are and what you do in the band yeah uh, my name is Mason I sing and play guitar uh, my name is Jake I play bass my name is Avery and I I hit the skins. I play the drums. <laughs> if if somebody asked what kind of like how would you describe Scary Canary's music, how would you like explain that to them? What what style of music, what what could they expect? Um most of the time I usually say blues grunge. That's yeah, blues kind of grunge. <laughs> the two avenues we walk on the most. Blues grunge, that might be the first time I've heard that one. Yeah, we made it up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I'd say, like, as a, as a songwriter, the biggest influences have been, like, Nirvana and, uh, like, Stone Temple Pilots and uh, bands like that. But then also, like, John Mayer is my guitar hero, I guess. So that's where I learned the blues and everything. So when you guys first kind of picked up instruments or got interested in music, was that love of music started when you were, like, a kid growing up in your household? Did you have music in all your households, or when did music kind of become a thing for you? I guess uh, for me it was high school. Uh, my brother got a drum set and we put it, my parents were like, put it in our bedroom. We shared a bedroom and I wanted it to be gone. I was like, it's annoying. It's taking up too much space. And then uh, one day I was listening to Weezer and I was just like, you know what? That sounds fair enough. So I always kind of had like a, an appreciation for music, but then I just started playing the drums and then I went oh wait I actually like the drums and so that's kind of how I started ever since then it was just almost every day did you take lessons or self-taught self-taught oh so how long did it take you to, to get to the point where you could play with people ah uh, yeah um probably a good year and then I was like really playing with people that's pretty good but a lot of just jamming out in my bedroom <laughs> jake what about you um i started playing music pretty young i played and took piano lessons from like elementary school till started high school um stopped doing piano for a bit and then started doing a ton of like show choir stuff which that was a that was a crazy time in my life nah and then college started and i wasn't really doing anything musically um, and sophomore year of college, I bought a bass and started playing with Mason and hit like our apartment like uh, a month after that. And then he taught me a lot of the bass stuff and we met Avery pretty soon after. Yeah. And then uh, 
I played the baritone in middle school. That was kind of my first music thing. And then uh, my dad had uh, American Idiot, Green Day album. And I just got completely hooked on rock music after that. And I was listening to Nirvana. Um, uh, Come As You Are was the first song. I was like, I need a guitar now. And I need how to learn. I need to learn how to play that. So then after that, it just spiraled from there. Just had to learn every rock song I could think of. Well, Jake mentioned that you guys were roommates at one point. Or no, no, you weren't, you weren't roommates. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he was in his first apartment. Time. Oh, okay. First time yeah. okay. So you, did you guys meet at school, or you met before that? Yeah, we met at school. We met during an uh, intramural soccer game, <laughs> we were playing against Jake's team, and. And you guys, how did the conversation go after that? I mean, how did you just were talking after the game and then decided, well, let's start a band together? We said, you got to join our soccer team. <laughs> he's, he's a pretty good soccer player. And then it kind of, we saw each other at a few like parties or whatever. And then eventually started hanging out. And, and then a couple years later, it's when he picked up the bass. Avery was playing drums in the pep band for the university, like, pep band, and I'd go to the basketball games, and I'd see him playing in them, and Mason and I had been playing more and more, and we talked about getting together with a drummer, but neither of us knew anybody who played the drums or had access to a kit, and Avery seemed like a likable fellow, and, <laughs> like, after a timeout or something, he had just finished playing with the band, I walked over to him and asked if he wanted to play with two guys that he'd never met before, and he was down, so... The rest is, as they say, history. Obviously, your like your personalities meshed. If if you're still playing together after all this time, mm-hmm. well, so yeah. if you guys were the Beatles, and you each had your own personality trait, who would be Paul, John, George, and Ringo? You can leave one out if you want. It's kind okay. of a weird question, but <laughs> let's start off with those kind today. Um. You go. I have, a, I have a feeling who you're, who you're going to say. Well, Ringo always came to the band like, hey, I got a, I got a song that I wrote and I want to play it, but I don't do that. That is true. So I don't, I don't know how much I'd be Ringo. I'm like, I'm, anything I ever write, I'm like, I don't want anyone to hear that ever. <laughs> um, but for the sake of Ringo being a drummer, I guess. And I get comparisons, especially when I like, shape everything except for the mustache. People are like, hey, you look a Ringo Starr. I'm like, thanks? <laughs> a lot of people say you do his, like, brush thing on the hi-hat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I definitely... Or the ride. A lot of... A, a bit of my playing is inspired by Ringo. Because he had such a unique sound, so... Uh, you're the one that writes all the songs for <laughs> this, so you can be whichever one you want to be. Probably Paul. <laughs> Paul or George, I would, I would think. Those are also the ones that I would rather be. I don't really want to be John <laughs> yeah, Lennon that bad. I was going to say, yeah. Well, well, so you mentioned, so Mason's doing all the songwriting, like, in the band. How, do, how does that affect, like, are you you guys okay with that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fun, yeah. And would, would Mason, would you prefer it if the guys eventually, like, I know Nirvana was one of your influences. I think at one point Kurt said he was glad that, um, like, Dave Grohl started, like, he started contributing some song ideas during in utero. I mean, is that something you you wish that Jake and Avery would start doing? So the process that we have, I'll, I'll kind of like come up with the song by myself, like the, the shell of the song and all the words. 
But then I don't like I hate it. I almost always hate the song. And then <laughs> like and I envision like drum parts and some like bass parts, but then when they when we play it together and I hear what they come up with, that's when the song is complete. And that's when I realize, oh, like that was a good song and that was a bad song. Like, I, like it's hard to like judge a song until I've heard them on it. So I, I can't say that it's like an individual songwriting process, but just like the the shell of the song and the chords and the words. I guess that's just I like to do it by myself. Yeah, I, I, I'm not very good at like um, collaborating with other artists. Like people have asked me to co-write with them, and there's no way I, like that I could be like vulnerable enough to share ideas with someone else. When you're writing, are you basing your writing on like a lyrical idea? Or are you trying to come up with a catchy riff first, or can you take us through the process of of your songwriting? Hmm. I guess it's different for every song. Like one time, like. For our song "Hold On Tight," I was uh, I was sitting at a, at a restaurant with my friend, and I just got this riff, man. So I like pulled out my notes at, or the voice recorder. I was like, and went home and built the song off that. And I've had songs where I just I just start on some chord progression, palm muting, or whatever, and I'm just yelling and like until I find like a vocal melody that sound sounds good. But there's some songs like "Cinnamon." Where you kind of like you base the vocals and guitar very much off of each other and make them similar too. Yeah, yeah. That was the that was the first song that we ever did was Cinnamon, and that's still the one that people like the most. So we spent the last four years trying to write a song that people like more than Cinnamon, <laughs> and we just can't do it. So. Also, it sounds like you're you're kind of inspired at different times, and you just kind of mm-hmm. kind of if you've got a phone, like you said, you'll you'll sing to that, but. Uh, some guitarists, it seems like they write better on acoustic. Are you mainly writing on electric, or do you have an acoustic that you play Usually around with? Acoustic. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wonder why that is. Like, do you think it's just because you don't need to plug in an amp, or could be? I don't know. Because it's not like I'm doing anything. It's not. We don't do like a lot of like cowboy chords. Or, <laughs> you know, we're, it's all power chords. So I guess it wouldn't really make a difference. Maybe I just feel more comfortable playing the acoustic. I don't know. Well, then are you a gear guy? Do you have a lot of guitars, a lot of amps? I have one one amp and like f- four guitars, I think. I used to cycle through a lot of different gear. I used to be one of those Craigslist guys where I'd like flip guitars. Like I'd, I'd buy a, a guitar for 50 bucks or whatever, restring it, and just make it, you know, clean the fretboard and stuff, and then sell it. But, he gave me one of those old guitars. That's my guitar. Yeah. So a lot of times I'd just buy a cheap guitar and just give it to a friend or whatever, so... But no, I'm not the biggest gear guy. I don't really have a pedal board. I just do a one blues driver and just call it good. Hook it up to the amp, and that, that's probably gonna make it easier. Like when you're playing shows, you have less to lug around. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, l- less spots for something to go wrong. Well, let's talk about when you guys like started writing together. Were you guys starting on, on cover songs, or did you immediately go to writing cinnamon? We played covers for quite a bit. I mean, that was just kind of all the songs that we knew together were covers. We didn't really know each other as musicians well enough to just kind of make stuff up on the spot like we'll do now when we're just hanging out. Um, But covers were just kind of a good middle ground to learn how to play with each other. And I think we, every Red Hot Chili Peppers song, we all knew we all learned how to play together and Nirvana and, I mean, Foo Fighters and you name it. 
when you were doing the cover songs, were you like under Scary Canaries or just you were? So then yeah. you were you did you do any shows under Scary Canaries doing the cover songs? So we were never just like we were never like strictly a cover band. It was just we when we started we only had a couple originals. So we would do we would go to Fatheads if you remember Fatheads. Yeah. Um, we we started out playing there and like our first time ever it was my first time ever singing in public. I was so nervous, panicking. But um, we played four covers and we played uh, Cinnamon. So I guess we've always had originals to play, or at least one. But then we just started trickling them in more and more. Now we now it's more on the other side. We'll 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 play a, a set, you know, a ten song set and have one cover every once in a while. So it was more of just a process to getting more songs. So you mentioned kind of the nervousness of playing the first show at Fatheads. Did that kind of give you like a the adrenaline to, to want to feel that rush again? I mean, after that first show, did it take a while to, to get the nervousness out, or do you still feel nervousness before a show? Mm, I mean, I, I still feel nervousness, I would say, but now that, that we've played a bunch of shows, like I know like no matter how nervous I'm, I am before a show, that when I'm on stage, I'm not going to be. Like it's going to feel right it's everything's gonna click but uh yeah it was pretty fun to to get up there and actually do it because it's fun to to go up there and sing and i don't know how was the the response from the crowd during that first show it was good (laughs) were were you guys opening for somebody it was just an open jam okay it was one of the open jams but uh we were in college at uw green bay so we had a bunch of friends come out so fatheads would let us play a little bit longer and the based on how many people came out <laughs> i would say so so then you guys wrote more songs you did a, a ep at, at rock garden was that yeah like, mm-hmm. so you're going into the studio now now you've got how many how many songs did you guys record on that ep five or six seven seven so, so i mean that's a pretty good length as you go in there to record i mean how was can you walk me through how you felt walking into a studio like rock garden to record your debut project and do you think that that i mean is that an ep that you still listen to and you're happy with or now does it seem kind of like you would have maybe done some things differently um we did re-record a couple of the songs on that and put them on like the first full-length album um but going in the first time, like I was, I was very nervous. Um, it was my first time recording anything, um, and I'd only been playing bass for a little over a year. I was still kind of figuring it out. But we we'd had those seven songs for quite a bit of time, and we had enough time to. We were playing, you know, like three or four times a week, so we were playing a lot. We had those songs down really well. And I think we had, what, like three days in the studio to record the entire thing, mm-hmm. tracks and vocals on everything, and we did it in like three and a half. Yeah, I think we had 16 total hours of studio time. Thank you, Avery, Patrick, Avery's <laughs> yeah. dad. We got a record deal from Avery's dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Endorsement. <laughs> did, did you guys record most of that all together, or did you do your part separately? Um, we would do it live to get Avery's drum take, and then if there were anything from the bass of the guitar part, we would go in and overdub that, and then he would do vocals after the fact. Yeah, I just remember walking into the studio and just being in awe of all the cool gear and everything, so and then you know Mark pulls out the Telefunken U47 microphone, 
And it's, he's like, yeah, this is like a 10,000 hour microphone. I'm like, wow. <laughs> he's like, yeah, this is what the Beatles would sing into. <laughs> All right. But it was a lot of fun. We were definitely nervous, but we really liked what we got. Um, we didn't spend a lot of time. Uh, just, we just kind of wanted to get the, the songs done and, and get them out. We didn't really focus too much on if they sounded big or if it Production. sounded yeah, if it sounded exactly how we wanted it because we were kind of in a hurry. So it was it was really nice to go back and retouch some of the songs. And we were, when we released it, we called it an album. Because I know it was only seven songs, but Jar of Flies only has eight by Alice in Chains. So I'm like, it's kind of, we could call it an album. <laughs> it doesn't it go off of length, though, not song? It's, yeah, it's all up to interpretation. Yeah, we've had <laughs> debates about that before. But, yeah, I mean, you could have put just a downstroke power chord on there for song eight. True. <laughs> <laughs> then we look back at it and we're like, that was an EP. That was an EP. Well, that's great. So, I mean, obviously you liked recording there because you went back and, and then you, you did your... I mean, would you consider the, the debut album, if you're chronologically looking at your albums, would you consider that one of the albums? Or would you consider that kind of a demo album? Just a demo. Okay. Well, so then, did you release that at all? Or did you burn it on CDR and sell it? Did you put it on Bandcamp? It's not living on Bandcamp anymore. Nope. But we did We did get CDs. We went to uh, Greg Waters at uh, Vector Media. Sure for the EP and our first two albums and got physical copies and they were great. So they're out there, that's cool. Yeah, I, we, we should <laughs> probably got some in the car. We're going to give you a little uh, a little goodie bag of all of our CDs and stickers and a shirt. So Thank you. Remind us after. Well, thank you. Well, you, you, did, you did Temperamental then was the first full album. <laughs> so you did that at Rock Garden, you're back at Rock Garden, working with some of the tracks that you had on the, the self-titled. And then at that point, you had a little bit of time away, and we're kind of talking about kind of looking back and then wishing you would have done certain things differently. Did like, did you make any major changes to the, the songs that carried over on the Temperamental? I couldn't make any changes on mine because <laughs> like, the drum tracks were already done. So I just but they were perfect. Like, they were perfect anyways. Would you have wanted to change anything at that point? Uh, I, I mean, my problem is every time... I listen to like every song we record. I want to change something, um, and I think we all do that because it's just like an artist, like an artistic thing. You're like, oh man, that that hi hat hit right there. I didn't really like that. I I could have done that better. But at some point, you just got to be like, you know what? It's out there, and it's good enough. <laughs> well, so I guess you know Jake and Mason. You guys are in a different situation because you guys can punch things in and out pretty easily. Did you make any major changes to any of your stuff? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. The the year after, I mean, it was just more time with those songs again to, like, kind of dig into them more and come up with different licks. We're, we're playing them. I'm practicing them every day. We're playing them a couple times a week, gigging them, and just kind of, like, I had different parts that I wanted to put in, and I think for like some of the songs with more fills like walk away i think we recorded that entire bass line again like piece by piece because i wanted it to be perfect and like the finished product of that was i'm super happy with did, did you prefer to do your bass out in the the main room or in the control room uh for walk away i remember doing it in the control room I, doing it on the the big room it felt more like a 
like a sporting event. There was like pressure because <laughs> they were in the cage, like watching me, and Mark's back there with his sunglasses on, <laughs> like watching me play every note. Uh, so doing it in the the lounge area on the big comfy couch, I would prefer doing it there. Mark does the, the game face too, where it's like a just a solid stone stare, which can be a little intimidating. <laughs> well, I mean, also just the fact that he like he knows what he's doing, yeah. and he's got uh, so many skills and like just like the instruments and everything that he has. It's very intimidating. It's like, oh my gosh, this was, is a legit studio. Yeah, that was my first time seeing working with Mark. Was my first time seeing somebody do like actual audio wizardry and like. <laughs> putting different takes together and making it sound like one. It was, it was really neat. Yeah. Pro Tools X, <laughs> I would say. So, Mason, you must have made some, like... Yeah. Two. We, uh... So, Disconnection was on the EP. We re-recorded the whole thing. I got... I borrowed my friend's uh, Jag Stang. Nice. So I get a real, real nasty tone on it. Um, Cinnamon, we, uh... I think we just kept it the way it was, because it was tight. Um... Dan Marino added just a ton of layered guitars on it, kept the vocal track, and then Walk Away, we, you, I think you just redid the bass, and I, I redid the vocals because I was never happy with the vocals, still not happy with the vocals. <laughs> I would I would very much like to re-record that. What, what don't you like about the vocals? I like had, I had a stuffy nose, <laughs> but, I, but I'm like, we gotta go, we gotta, we gotta do it today. So, and I don't know if anybody's ever picked up on that, but when I, when I hear it, I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could sing that again, but and then Bad was on the EP, but then we and we left it off the first album, and then we put it on uh, Miles Apart, our second album. And we we re-recorded the whole thing and I think made it sound better. I would yeah. Say. And then to kind of go a little bit even further, your your latest album, you gone away. You did in uh, Madison, it, the uh, blasting. Blast house. Blast house. So what was the uh, what was the feeling kind of stepping out of your your clubhouse, which would be kind of rock garden, where you've done did everything previously, to all of a sudden going to the blast house? Not only different studio, but way further away than you know the twenty minute drive from Green Bay. Well, Jake and I actually live in Madison. Now, I did not know so, that. Yeah, it was an early morning for us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. We wanted to see if we could find a studio in Madison, and Avery doesn't mind driving. He'll, he'll go anywhere <laughs> to play drums. Yeah. So, yeah, we figured we would try a new place, and um, got, we were really happy with what we got. Landon, Ar- Landon Arkins at uh, Blast House was super easy to work with, really good guy. And then we, I, we went back to Justin Perkins at uh, Mystery Room. So Justin did every all the mastering for all of our albums, but, yeah, we went to Blast House for uh, Cypressor Eyes. The latest album. So, people listening that might not be familiar with mastering, do you want to give me your take on mastering? Yeah, you just put a limiter on it and it, it <laughs> raised the volume. <laughs> and you sent out the invoice. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> there's, there, I mean, I really have no idea. It's, it's magic. It's, it's all. I just stay out of it. When we send the tracks to Justin, we get them back and they sound so much better. So I don't. So it kind of maybe polishes it a little bit more, makes it more like sparkle, sparkly for radio play or whatever. Yeah, and and it gets like the the volumes right for different um, uh, different platforms. Like 
Like, and he'll send out like the 24-bit wave files and the 16. And we we use CD Baby, so we just do the 16 anyway. But well, did your did your recording process change working with Landon versus Mark? Did he have a different way of of recording you guys, or did you sort of want to stick to the same formula that that you were used to? I think like the the formula of how it happened, like getting a drum take with you know that being the take that's actually being recorded and the drum and bass being scratched after that most likely we did that similarly but it was I mean it was a different space it was different studio different equipment it was totally different experience and would that like if you start work on your next album would you check out another studio or would you go to one you already went to I know that's kind of a well that's a conversation we'll have to have as a band (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so out of the three albums, we're leaving the self-titled out of this. Mm-hmm. What was the easiest album to record? Which one was the hardest? And I know there's some overlap on the the first two, so. I'm miles apart. Is the hardest? I would say so, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I would yeah. say miles apart. I, I would say that the new one, Cypressaurus, was the hardest to write. But, like, the first, especially, like, Temperamental was super easy to write because we were, I was just kind of starting as a songwriter. So it was, it was easy to pump out all these ideas. Well, you did have to write, like, yeah, how many songs? Yeah. So <laughs> when we started as, as a band, we had nothing. I, I was, I'd never really written songs before, and I just wrote Cinnamon just on a whim because I had, like, that blues riff. And then, uh, then we started getting offered shows at, like, like the Levitt Amp series, it would you need to have like an hour of original music, and I'm like, <laughs> so we took the gig. It was kind of like a challenge, you know. The gig um, was in July. It was probably like yeah, February or something. Yeah. So then I just started pumping out songs. Didn't matter if they were good. I was just <laughs> pumping them out, and then I I think I wrote like six of our songs on Temperamental in like a two week stretch. So it was a lot easier to write that one versus now when I've. The, you know, I've already used up all, all of my good ideas, so I... Do you feel if you had, like, another deadline? Like, maybe you guys <laughs> agreed to do something where you would need to do, like, songs that had not been released yet? Do you think you could maybe get back in that yeah, that yeah. mindset to... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably. <laughs> and do you feel pressure? I mean, you mentioned Cinnamon was your signature song. That's also your oldest song. I mean, do you feel pressure to, to write? I think you kind of already alluded to that pressure to, to write another cinnamon or a song that that you know people are going to latch on to like that song and do you feel that you might never get to that level again because people are more receptive like right when they're hearing you for the first time do you think that is think kind of an issue too i think that's what it was is that it was like our first song so uh people would kind of latch on to that one more i certainly don't think it's our best song but I have a lot of fun playing it, and it's different from everything that we've written. So, like, I haven't tried to write Cinnamon Two. <laughs> there is a Cinnamon there is Two, a cinnamon two there, yeah, but, but we didn't write it. So, our friends in the Bool, sponsored by Hams, wrote that song, Cinnamon Two. Well, what what song's better, Cinnamon One or Cinnamon Two? Depends on who you ask. I <laughs> think. Depends who you ask. T- one's punk and one is uh, blues. So. <laughs> two very different. apples and oranges. <laughs> So you guys are, like you started, you came up in the Green Bay scene, now Mason and Jake, you guys are down in Madison, like how how are the scenes different in Green Bay versus Madison? Is it a lot of the same? Is it 
different? Is it harder to get a, a gig somewhere? Um, I think it's uh, no, I think it's a little bit harder to get a gig in Madison right now than it was for us in Green Bay when we were first starting. Um, Madison, I don't know if it's like more competitive because there's more people there, there's more people that want to play in bands or what, but I don't know, we just haven't really been playing a ton of gigs down there. Um, the gigs we have played, though, we've played at the Rigby for our release show in April. That was really, really fun. Yeah. A couple cool bands, Bridger, um, Modern Dairy from Chicago. And the Kilroys. The Kilroys, yeah. That was, that was a fun night. Yeah, we played Scotty Bar a couple times with The Bull, which were really fun shows. I, tr- I hit up the Wisco the other day. But I don't, I don't know if they saw it. It was an Instagram DM. I'll have to try to get a hold of them in, on another medium. Because I would love to play there. I went there the other day. I was like, we should play yeah. there. There's bands all over the place. It's just like, I don't know who to talk to to get a gig. Maybe when we were younger, in our earlier days, we were more uh, ambitious on going up to people in bars and saying, like, hey, how do we play here? Um, that's how we got in at Frets in Green Bay. We were just, like, hanging around one night waiting for the owner. And he was not there. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, we just got to do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I imagine like that Madison will open up eventually, or you, yeah. you know, as you make connections. But it, it's got to be a little difficult to move into a new kind of musical territory, and you kind of like reestablishing all the yeah all the the people you know and the, the places you can play and stuff. But that's cool. I mean, I, I know there's um, as far as the music, actual music scene down there. I, I know there's a lot of rock bands down there. I don't know if yeah. if you've seen like any other genres that are big in Madison. Um, I've been to Mickey's a couple times. Uh, one of my friends is a he lives in that neighborhood, so we go there kind of often. Um, cool older like punk bands come through there every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, I think it kind of like because we're so far from Green Bay. We're kind of Green Bay. The Green Bay music scene is changing a little bit. I think we're kind of not as involved in the Green Bay music scene as we used to be when we lived in Green Bay. It's been a lot harder to get together and play play a lot of shows, and we're all so much more busier now than when we were 21, 22. So yeah, when we were in college, it was it was more convenient to play like three or four nights a week when they were all in Green Bay. We could play. Frets, bad heads, somewhere on campus, and then somewhere else. Yeah, we four do nights the, in a row. The tour to Green Bay. <laughs> well, so the with with you guys down in Madison too, like so, yeah, you're practicing less, and I mean, now if you are gonna start writing songs again, are you gonna move more to like emailing files around and having the Google Drive? You got the Google Drive, Facebook group chat. <laughs> That's kind of normally, though. How we didn't, we never really practiced a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, when we got together first as a band, we would practice a lot. Um, but then as we kind of established ourselves, you know, with each other and figured out who we were as musicians, we didn't really practice a whole bunch. We would send, like Mason would send us um, demos of his song, of the songs that he wrote, and then we'd just practice them on our own and then get together and kind of figure them out. The the six songs that he was talking about writing in two weeks or whatever, they all came t- to us over uh, Facebook Messenger. <laughs> it was like, here's the Jake, here are the chords. It's Mason singing and playing his acoustic guitar. I mean, that's 
<laughs> I guess that's the way of the, the president, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we'd, we'd have to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> who, who are some of the bands? We had Sherry Lane on a few months ago, and they talked about Scary Canaries quite a bit. So, I mean, are there bands from Green Bay? Like, who are your homies in Green Bay? Like, the, the bands that you feel kind of the most connected to that, you know, they're, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we love Sherry Lane. We love Sinner and the Saint. We love playing with Trash Panda, Sons of Kong. Sons of Kong. Who am I missing? I know I'm going to be missing a bunch Floral of people. Friday. Floral Friday. Yeah, Floral Friday. Yeah, the, uh, once you get established in Madison, I'm sure you're going to try to pull some of those bands down to the, to the Madison oh, area. Yeah. Sons of Kong, though, they're... They they're, rock. Yeah, they're... <laughs> oh, my God. All the bands you mentioned are, are awesome. So, I mean, I think, again, like, the scene is so good around here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mind-blowing in a way. Yeah. <laughs> because, um, you guys, we didn't even touch yet on your music videos. You guys have a ton of music <laughs> videos. It's like I, I saw one, and then it's like it was a rabbit hole, just kind of kept flowing through. How did you guys get into, like, doing music videos? It was just, and it, it, you've got, like, somebody that helps you, it looks like, or kind of mm-hmm. takes you through the process. But there's a lot of great Scary Canary music videos on YouTube. Yeah, that's our friend Logan O'Leary. He uh, approached. I guess how it went. He's, he kind of approached us and asked us if we wanted to do a music video, and we're like, yeah. So we did a, the Cinnamon one in Avery's Garage, and and every music video's got to have a fight scene. Like we're always <laughs> every good music video yeah. has a fight scene. So oh, we love doing it. It's just so much fun to like our the the Miles Apart music video. It's kind of like a mockumentary. It's like a it's like 12 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, it's okay. And yeah, my favorite part of that, obviously, is the, the talking about the amount of breasts he signed. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, <laughs> and then the, the scenes were all really good, like really well done. Um, Avery, you're at your parents' house. <laughs> but uh, Mason, you're at a really nice house that you afforded. Um, with my solo career. Yeah, with your solo career. Yeah. And Jake, I, you were living in the trunk car, of a car. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean that 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 kind of stuff had to be fun to film as well, and then you, you can put a music video. And do you feel music videos are a good way to get people to listen to, like actually sit through a song now? Since like there's so many different places to listen to music, and people's attention span is like ten, fifteen seconds. Yeah, <laughs> I think a video, especially nowadays, everybody's looking at their phones all the time. It's a great way to grab somebody's attention, even if it is for just like ten or fifteen seconds, like. They're more inclined to watch something if there's something funny to watch with it, too. I think we also just made it because we were like, this would be fun to do. <laughs> like, you know, even if nobody watches it. <laughs> like like the, the Brady Bunch one. Some nobody guess. asked us to do a Brady Bunch spoof. We did that because we wanted to. <laughs> well, that looked like it took a while, too. And, and Logan must have been going through like the, just the clips because... He, had to match up the looking and he was all the, the mastermind. All, He's so good. All the changes, the costume changes and stuff for that. But yeah, yeah you can really get down the rabbit hole of scary canary music videos. Yeah. And, <laughs> do you have a favorite of the videos? I, I think I would have to go with the, the some gas, the the Brady Bunch one, just because that was hilarious to see us all with wigs and dresses and, <laughs> yeah. and playing all the siblings and. Avery is both of the parents. I think that's the funniest, <laughs> the funniest scene of that entire yeah. thing when he looks at himself. I would say "Carried Away." I think it's my favorite, and that's the newest one, isn't it? That's the oh, no, that's not the. I newest. think it's the second newest. It's uh, the one where we're all competing for the same girl. Yeah, who is who is the girl in the video? That's Faith Click. 
um, her and Logan, I used to work with on campus um, as a university ambassadors giving tours. There's a, a fight in that, that video too. It's the oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very good one. And it, and I think that's Logan at the end, right? That comes out. He gets <laughs> yeah, a girl. he gets a cameo. That, that's yeah, <laughs> that's a great video. Um, so, in twenty twenty two, Mason, you got COVID, and you did some like online uh, streaming stuff. Mm. Like, did you just want to put something out there, and was that something that kind of made you think about? Yeah, maybe I could, you know, do some shows solo if I wanted to. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I was pretty bored. I was just pretty bored just sitting around. And I, I guess, I don't know, it was fun to kind of try to adapt our songs into acoustic songs. I Did you get know. a lot of feedback on it? A lot of good feedback? I'm, I, I, does, I, it doesn't have a lot of views. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, views, you know. True. You can true. buy views. True. <laughs> but I, I don't know. It, it was more, it was a passion project, <laughs> more so. But I don't I don't think I could ever do a solo thing. I don't know if I'm brave enough to go up there without my team, you know. What about what about Jake? You've got a guitar that Mason gave you at home. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, it's in my trunk of my car right now, actually. Um, I, I play with another group right now as well, but we've played like two gigs total and we don't have anything else booked, so it's just kind of like I, I'm down to play other things. I like playing, but just time right now is kind of... Shout out the name. Yeah, shout out Kermit the Frogs. <laughs> nice. Madison's premier Minion Mosh and uh, Muppet Prog Punk Band. I like it. Yeah. You guys did a show at uh, the Lyric Room, Weez Fest. Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell me about that because you know, Weezer is one of your you know, influences. How was that to play Weez Fest? Uh, it's a dream come true. Jake's the biggest Weezer fan. I love Weezer. Um, when I first bought a bass, like one of my like goals was to be in like a Weezer cover band when I'm like later in life, and I I'm glad that I've done done more than that now. Um, like we've, we've played a lot of Weezer songs, and playing at Weezer Fest was really fun. Getting to dig out uh, a song that was not on the Blue Album or Pinkerton for us to cover. We played uh, "Put Me Back Together." Yep. Off of Ratitude. Uh, that was that was a lot of fun. And the Weez Fest guys they do a pretty cool podcast too, and they they put on a really good show that night as well. Yeah, they're awesome. So I've got to ask you, Jake, Blue Album or Pink Pinkerton? Pinkerton. Yeah, it's on record as Saint Pinkerton. <laughs> do you guys agree? I I've, I've listened to Pinkerton like twice. I, I mean, <laughs> Blue Album is great. I, I like there's songs on Pinkerton that I like I more than songs say. on the Blue Album. Jake, okay, Jake thinks he knows what I'm going to say. What am I going to say, Jake? You're going to say Blue Album. Oh, Red Album. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing a curveball in there. The White Album is my favorite. Avery is the greatest fan who ever lived. Well, you guys also did a cover with Center and the Saints, you've mentioned, of Undone the Sweater Song. How did yes. that come about? During the pandemic, there was nothing else to do. <laughs> so uh, It turned out really well. It was, it was a I mean, lot of fun to mix. It was kind of, it was a, it was tricky. It was tricky because, like, most of the takes were just, like, a video recording. Like, the drum and the bass takes were just a, a video. <laughs> yeah, so I was trying to mix that in with, like... <laughs> I like, recorded I got it some, in my garage. Yeah, like, I got some DI recordings of a guitar with no setting on it or anything. And it was a, it was a great challenge. Because I'm not much of, like, an engineer in any way, but it was fun to, fun to act like I was. 
any like chance that you guys will collaborate with Center of the Saints for any future projects like that? Yeah, we'd love to. I mean, they're they're awesome. I know you mentioned earlier in the interview that you don't really like collaborating, or it's kind of hard. But I mean, something like that's a kind of a cover song. Is that mm-hmm. oh, that's a little different. That's a lot easier. We've played with that. We've played that with them live a couple of times, yeah. just because I mean, it's how we started is playing covers with people, and it's fun to do that. Mm-hmm. What are you guys the most proud of so far in the whole lifespan of Scary Canary? The Scary Canary's most proud moments. Oh man, there's a lot. I mean, there's like, I would say my proudest moment is breaking out of the bedroom. And uh, getting yeah. on stage and being able to, to actually do it. Because there's such a huge gap between just being a bedroom rocker and actually getting like, you know, getting out there and doing it. And when you make your first hour playing music, you know, I'm a professional, you know. For me, that was, that was like our, the most proud. I think for me, it's been just like kind of meeting everybody. Every, every time we play somewhere, every time we go somewhere, there's just like some random encounter with a stranger that is just like so wholesome and so fun. And I'll probably never see them again. But if I do, it'll be at that same bar that we played at, and they're still going to be there, and there's still going to be somebody to go and talk to. I guess when I'm just listening to music and like a song of ours comes on, especially like a song that I haven't listened to in a while, like just shuffles on, and I go, Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> holy smokes. That song. And then that just makes me go, like, oh, wow, we have, like, three albums and an EP. That's something I never thought when I started playing the drums was ever going to be, you know, in the cards. So I think that's something that I'm really proud of, of us for doing. It's it's going way further than any of us thought, I think. We, we thought we'd go. As far as, like merchandise and releasing albums are you guys big fans of coming up with new merchandise or like what what can people find when they're at a scary canaries show to, to purchase uh well it's free <laughs> yeah <laughs> Why not? if we bring it it's free yeah we, we got the same shirts from when we first started uh jake did design a, a shirt for a temperamental release and though they're turned out awesome and i think i've got like one, one of them left. yeah like, but um is it just something that you'd rather give it away than make people pay for it? Or yeah. we're just not good salesmen. <laughs> well, and, you know, I mean, I'd rather I'd rather have somebody just have it than to just sit in a box in my room. You know, like say we make twenty bucks from give it from selling two when we could have give gave away ten. You know, I don't know. The money's not super. It's not like we're making money doing this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we spend a lot more money recording the albums and whatnot. So might as well get them out and. And so you've released them all on CD at this point, point. Mm-hmm. and I know some bands are are going strictly digital, which to me is kind of a foreign thought. But I, I guess I also understand like they're making cars without CD players. So yeah, I mean, is that do you, do you like having the actual physical CDs? So that's something you guys will keep on doing in the future. I think so. <laughs> yeah, we thought about doing vinyl for the last record, but we there's just so much going on that we just didn't kind of ran out of time too. like someday maybe i think maybe someday we'll do a greatest hits album on vinyl <laughs> and get that out but and we'll give it away for free yeah. <laughs> well that one we can't do for free that one's good so i mean if you did a 
you know, the vinyl record that opens up the whole new door is like you have to get it mastered twice if you're going to do CD and vinyl. And yeah. but then you get to do all that decorating and the the cover art and stuff, which I think would yeah. Your past albums who did the art for the the albums or the, the CDs? That's Jake. Yeah, except for the EP, my friend Maddie Kwame did that one. Yeah, she did a really good job on it. It's I mean you can't find it anywhere, but it's like a a big bad like canary biker dude <laughs> riding a Harley. It's awesome illustration. Yeah. This is a good point to ask, why the name Scary Canaries? <laughs> like, who came up with that? Like, take me through the the incarnation of that, that band name. I think that was just, like, a random... It's a we pretty were underwhelming at, story. We were, we were at Fatheads. It was the first time we were playing, and they were like, what's your name? And we shouted out Scary Canaries. I think there was, like, no thought to it whatsoever. It just kind of stuck. Well, I, I mean, got, you love birds. I've got, yeah, a, I've got a bird, a bird thing, I guess. I've got a bird thing. Uh, it was especially acting up around 2019. <laughs> yeah. Then people always are like, well, you're not scary. <laughs> like, yeah, no, we're not. Yeah, neither, is, neither is a canary. Did you have a, a favorite place to play in Green Bay when you guys were based out of Green Bay? Yeah. We love playing Fretz and Friends. Yeah, that's a great place. Such a great place to play. Uh, Jerry runs sound really, really well there and always makes us sound good, so... Well, and you guys at Mile Music this year, you played at the Ambassador for Acre of Tunes. How was that? It was, it was pretty cool. Was yeah. that your yeah. first time at the Ambassador? Yes. Yes. And if you've never been to the Ambassador, to, to people listening or watching, it's a kind of a unique venue to play. It's a kind of a long, narrow kind of place, and then the stage is at the end. So you really have to kind of fight to get your <laughs> spot if you're going to watch the band. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you guys played, who, who were some of the other bands you played with that night? It was the Motel Men uh, opened for us, um, and that, that was it. They, they were kind of like an electronic. It's a synth duo. Yeah. They had like loops and stuff they did. It was pretty cool. Had, had you attended Milo Music in the past? Yeah. Okay, so it was probably kind of exciting to get downtown. and. Oh, definitely. yeah. We'd played like Acre of Tunes adjacent kind of things before where it was, you know mile of music weekend but we're three or four blocks away from college ave this is the closest we've actually been to like college ave we we're right around the corner so that's kind of fun yeah we played tandem wine bar uh last mile of music so stone arch is right across the street from it and they had like a, a bluegrass band playing there and we were just cranked all the way up and i felt bad we were kind of yeah. drawing it. oh yeah i hope we weren't drawing it out but uh, they had a pa too i'm sure they were fine yeah <laughs> have you ever played misfits Oh yeah, yes, yes. Okay. twice, yes, yeah. yeah. First time with the Trash Pandas, I think we played it. Yeah, yeah. Second time with the Sons of Kong. Yeah. yeah, Sons of Kong. Yeah. Is there any place in Appleton you haven't played yet that you hope to play someday? We did Cold Shot. Yeah, we did Cold Shot. Did this fits Beer Factory? We haven't played Ooh, Beer Factory. Yet. We, we, we want to play factory. Appleton Beer Factory. Oh, that's a good. We got offered one, but we weren't able to, to take the gig. Yeah, Mark's been, uh, the Appleton Beer Factory's been bringing in just a ton of music. It's great to have, you know, somebody like that in the Appleton area that's that's pulling mm-hmm. in people. Is there, uh, you mentioned Fretz, you know, is there, besides Fretz and Friends in Green Bay, is there anybody else in that area that's kind of doing the same thing for the, the scene up there? It's kind of hard to say. We're not super active in Green Bay right now. Yeah. We well, don't really know. There was the Lyric Room. There was the Lyric Room. Yeah, yeah. The Lyric Room. That is kind of a bummer to see that gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are still there. 
Right. Like, it's yeah. I guess I, I I know there's some controversy with the lyric yeah. rumor. I've I've heard some yeah. stuff. Like, All I see is the Facebook stuff. Yeah, I've yeah. been been up to Green Bay since then, but doesn't seem like we'll be playing there for a yeah. while. But I mean, those were pretty much our two favorites. That and Fatheads, and then Fatheads closed, closed then came back yeah. as Fatheads two, <laughs> and then and then closed again, closed again. which is a, just a bummer. Big hit for the for the scene. Big hit for us too. Oh, yeah. Fatheads was very near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. That's where you guys got your start. We played there every Thursday for <laughs> yeah, it was the, uh, a year. There's a bar up there called Cock and Bull. And <laughs> that's the name. I'm not, I'm not using any profanity on the, on the radio show. They um, So they would do double bubble on Thursdays. So like a lot of the college kids that we were friends with would come out pregame at Fatheads. And once we were done playing the open jam... We'd all meet up at Cock and Bowl and have a fun night. So that was pretty much every Thursday for like a whole whole semester. Avery was 19, so he would go home. Yeah, I could not partake. So Avery, you're quite a bit younger. You're uh, the youngest one in the band? I would say quite a bit. Yeah, not quite a bit, but yeah, I'm the youngest in the band. Right. So there was a while when we started where it was either I would have to like sneak in or just kind of like get in good, you know, with the staff there, and they'd be like, yeah, okay, like, you're cool to just come and hang out, you know, but we no, would, no buying any beer or anything, which is fine, because... Another way he would get in, and we would be sad without mentioning it, his parents are at almost every gig, and we owe a lot of Scary Canaries to the Robinson family. We rehearsed at their place for, like, the last four years. We've had a thousand frozen pizzas of theirs. They're just <laughs> yeah. the nicest family, and love them to death. Yeah, the first time we got together to jam, it was at, or it, it was our first time at Avery's house, and jamming at someone's place is a little nerve wracking, especially especially when their parents are living there. So I've, I've been to places where we're getting yelled at to to, to be quiet <laughs> and everything. So we walk in, and the first thing that Avery's mom says is, "You guys better turn it up because we want to actually hear it." <laughs> so it, from the get go, just completely welcoming and everything, and obviously uh, his dad Patrick gave us a check to help record our first EP and get some music out there and they're our biggest supporter and we're very grateful. So I mean having like parents and family that you know actually kind of helps and nurtures your passion I think is is great. I mean do you have any advice to to young people that might be wanting to play a guitar or start a band or play drums or play bass or a ukulele even? Just keep playing it. Yeah, just keep playing it. <laughs> say it, yeah. I'd try for it. for drums, I'd say listen to the radio, put that on while you're playing. Like put on a radio station and just play along to like every song you hear. Cuz that's what I did. I just put on a radio station and I'd just be like play along. Even if I didn't like a song, I'd I'd be like, ah, "I'm going <laughs> to going to try and figure it out." <laughs> yeah, learn as much as you can. Learn go to use Ultimate Guitar. Ultimate Guitar is your friend for tabs. And, uh, yeah, just, if you like it, learn it, because it's, it's going to be easier than, than you think it is, usually. Learn your power chords. I would say for myself, when I first started learning music, it was too academic. Like, a, the, the piano lessons, like, if I didn't play the song well enough that week, I'd have it for another week and have to play it better next week, and that just, drilling music is not what it's there for. It's art. It's supposed to be fun, and, you know playing with these guys in a rock and roll band is way more fun 
just do what is fun for you. If you want to learn how to play three chords really fast, and that's all you're going to need, like, hell yeah, do that. It's going to rock. Um, We've got a uh, the question here. If you found a magic lamp, oh, it's from Bob Minter. Thank you, Bob. If you found a magic lamp at Bay Beach and the genie would grant you one wish for the band, what would it be? One wish each? Uh, he has oh, one man. wish. So I'm going to say mm. one wish total. Total. Collective. Okay. A collective wish. All right, guys, what are we thinking here? Should we get a van? Ooh, Ooh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a, a cool van or... We could wish that Avery moved down to Madison. Yeah, we could, or we could all move to Algoma. Hey, that would be really cool. We could get a band house on the beach, or just like in Algoma. You know, unlimited studio time. Oh yeah, yeah. That doesn't cost us any money. Maybe that. In a reserved lane at Pizza Bowl. Yeah. yeah. So that's what you're wishing for—is the lane at Pizza Bowl? Yeah. Yep. Shut up, Algoma Pizza Bowl. <laughs> I would have wished for three more wishes myself, but (laughs) thank you, Bob, for the question. Uh, Well, what do you guys have coming up? What's what's on the the horizon for Scary Canaries? Are you going to start working on a new album? Are you going to take a little break? What's what's going to happen? We've kind of been on a a little break since uh, because we were grinding pretty hard to get the last album out. So it was a pretty uneventful summer, but um, this this might be the first time since like when the pandemic hit that we don't have any gigs lined up for a little bit. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm always writing, so there, there's always going to be more, more music, more songs. We got together and worked on some new stuff a couple weeks ago. So yeah, hopefully more music soon. <laughs> 